So if you ever watch American football, you'll see uh, sometimes there's these Bible verses that they put up on signs. So you'll see John 3.16, and there's one other verse that will pop up from time to time. And we're going to look at that one. Leviticus 24? That's the one. (laughs) That's everywhere, especially the Dallas Cowboys games are are everywhere. It's it's amazing. Uh, But it's in Philippians chapter 4, so you can open up there. We'll we'll get to Philippians chapter 4 here in a minute, but let me kind of set the stage for us. All right, so last weekend we took a look at the gift of compassion, and then we looked at uh, the gift of of care and of mercy, and this afternoon we're going to look at the gift of uh, strength, of God's strength for us. So that's where we're going today. Uh, There is an interesting book, and this will give you a little taste of uh, American society. So uh, these two gentlemen uh, wrote a book. They are professors at a university in New York City, and uh, these professors are not uh, believers, uh, but nevertheless, so they were asking the question, why is it that American college students do things such as uh, whenever they have someone who's coming to speak at the university and uh, the students don't agree with whatever message that they're going to speak about. Why do the students have a, a protest and tell the faculty and the staff, you need to disinvite them? So it's these kinds of things that are happening throughout the U.S. society, particularly on college campuses, that made these two guys wonder, like, what is going on? So. They did this study, and they wrote a book called The Coddling of the American Mind, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting a Generation Up for Failure. So, uh, they talk about uh, this untruth of fragility uh, in it, uh, in the book. So, let me give you one example that's going to kind of lead us to our Philippians uh, passage, uh, and it's, it's this. They tell this story about peanut allergies in the U.S. Now, let me just give you a little disclaimer. If you have a peanut allergy, okay, I'm not saying anything good or bad. Don't do anything. Change if you have one or don't have one. This is just an example of what's happened over the decades in the U.S. related to peanut allergies. So, this is what they say. Peanut allergies were very rare among American children up until the mid-1990s. When one study found that only four out of a thousand children under the age of eight had such an allergy. But by 2008, so about 10 years or or more, according to the same survey using the same measures, the rate had more than tripled in about 10 to 15 years to 14 out of a thousand. And nobody knew why American children were suddenly becoming more allergic to peanuts. But the logical and compassionate response was obvious. Kids are vulnerable. Protect them from peanuts, peanut products, and anything that has been in contact with nuts of any kind. Why not? What's the harm? They write. And in the book, it says, but it turns out that the harm was severe. It was later discovered that peanut allergies were surging precisely because parents and teachers had started protecting children from exposure to peanut uh, back in the 1990s. 
So, it's fascinating. That, that's why you have this little subtitle, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure. And this is one of the examples that is becoming pervasive throughout uh, the U.S. Uh, and I'm not sure how much it affects uh, Irish society, but I, I certainly uh, believe that this is one of these lies that are perpetuated everywhere to whatever degree it is. And there is this big lie that happens across the world. It's showing itself in, in our college campuses, in our homes, and it causes all kinds of problems. And, and it's, it is simply this. This is the lie. You can't handle it. Now the thing is, is that no one just comes out and tells us this. No one comes up to me and says, you know, Tony, you can't handle it. We don't do it that way. It is so much more subtle. It is so much more crafty. But nevertheless, the outcome is still the same. The message is still the same that says you can't handle it. And sometimes we don't even realize that we're communicating this to our friends and our loved ones. It's that pervasive and that slippery of a lie. Well, so let me just uh, illustrate this, okay? Uh, so it, this, I, I, it dawned on me that this was happening in our family life uh, when I asked my daughter to unload the dishes. Think, okay, common chore, no big deal. Kids do dishes. Kids, right, they just help around the house, of course. So that particular afternoon, uh, I was there. It was just my daughter, and I said, go ahead. It's your turn to unload the dishes. And she just decided to, do I have to just unload the dishes? All right, so she's there, and, and she... As she's starting to do it, right, it's a full, it's a full dishwasher. So she's starting to unload dishes and put the dishes away. And she's progressively getting... And she's, like, making all these noises. And I'm like, can you just unload the dishes, you know? And I'm starting to get as, uh, a little exasperated here, and I'm getting frustrated. And then, like, after about 60 seconds, she's starting to, like, there's tears coming down her eyes. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? It's just dishes. And, but the thing is, she's doing it. I mean, even though with tears and grunts and weeping, she's, she's not bawling, but she's, you know, she's able to, like, put the dishes away, right? But this is what's going on. And then after a while, like, I'm so bothered about this, I turned to her and I said, stop what you're doing, go to your room, and then when you can do the dishes without complaining and with a good attitude, then come back down. And so she raced upstairs, and by that time, she was like in full tears just going up the stairs. So I was able, after she went upstairs, I was able to calm down a little bit. And, you know, four or five minutes passed by, and I'm sitting there thinking, huh, well, she was doing the dishes, wasn't she? Yeah. Yeah, sure, she had tears. She was huffing and puffing about it, and she, her attitude wasn't that good. But what did I ask her to do? To do the dishes. And she was doing them. I didn't particularly care for how she was doing them. And so who was the one in this situation that couldn't handle it? 
It was me. And when I told her to go upstairs until you have a better attitude, what was I communicating to her? That she can't handle it. Man. So what do I do? I go upstairs, go to her room, and she's under her covers. <laughs> and I said, sweetie, I am sorry. I owe you an apology. And I said, you know what? I asked you to do the dishes, and you were doing the dishes. And I communicated to you something that you couldn't handle it, and that just wasn't true. So I apologize. And she said, Dad, that's okay. And you know what she did? She went down and did the dishes with a smile on her face. <laughs> so all that to say is that this this lie of you can't handle it, it pops up everywhere in life and oftentimes we don't even realize that we are enforcing this lie or living out this lie just like this. So let me just tease this out a little bit because I really want to present that this is everywhere. Before we get to the solution that we're going to find in Philippians chapter 4, I really want us to understand how pervasive this is and then how significant Philippians chapter 4 verses 10 through 13 is related to this lie. And then finally, this is the solution. So, so when can we begin to tell that the lie has presented itself? When we, whenever we begin to walk on eggshells around each other, Right? Right? If I walk on eggshells around Keith thinking, oh man, well, what if I say something about his blue shoes? I don't think, you know, I'm going to hurt his feelings. You know what? So I walk on eggshells around him. So that it can a, be a form of perpetuating this lie. As, you know what? I, ha I, have to, I have to, like, give extra special care and attention to Keith because of his blue shoes. Right? We, we walk on eggshells around each other. Or avoiding triggers. This is a common word, at least where we, where we live. Just, you know what, they trigger me, they trigger this, or this, you know what, this happens on college campuses all, all the time. Uh, again, safe, there, there are safe spaces. I don't know if this happens here among the universities and, and the college campuses uh, here, but they happen all over the place in the U.S., right? When there's a, a, a speaker that comes and they disagree with them, then they, some, some college campuses will give coloring books and set aside a room. I'm not kidding. This really happens. This really happens on college, on college campuses, right? Because they're reinforcing to kids, you can't handle it. A whole generation that struggles with anxiety and depression that's taught coping skills instead of strengthening skills. At least where I'm from, uh, they provide these uh, coping skills, and some of them are really valuable, and some of them really help. But in my mind, in, in my two cents to the counseling world where I live, I would love for them to change this term from coping skills to strengthening skills, because for those that these skills kind of help themselves, you know, can help people who are struggling with these things. The goal is not just to cope and get along and to manage life. The goal is to strengthen someone. The goal is to grow a person up and to help them mature, not just, let me just get by 
with these skills. That's not the goal, right? So a whole generation that does this. You know, maybe some of us on the flip side will say, well, I've got to jump in and take care of this person or this situation, right? Right? My, my kids aren't doing it right, so all right, have a, just go, I'll take care of it myself. So these are all so many different ways that perpetuate this lie of you can't handle it. And then maybe somebody is perpetually stuck in, in resentment related to uh, relationships. And gosh, I mean, there's, there's so many other possibilities. So that is the lie. Uh, that's subtle. No one is going to be overt and say, all right, you can't handle that. Maybe you shouldn't do it. You can't handle it. But it's everywhere. So, this is why we want to turn our attention to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. So, some of you may have your Bibles open to this. Now, if you still have to turn there, you'll uh, just a, a little refresher. Philippians, the Apostle Paul, is writing to his friends, his believers uh, at the church in Philippi. And the Philippians, uh, previously they had made a collection, a financial collection, and they had given it to Paul for his support of the ministry. And so as Paul writes this letter uh, that he is sending to the Philippians, uh, it is a thank you letter. And so we're going to read this little section that references this financial gift that Paul received from the Philippians for his life, for his support, for his gospel ministry. So this is where we can pick up. So let me read. Uh, Philippians 4.10, he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. Uh, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Right. So Philippians 4.13 is not a, a verse that athletes, you know, that even though they wear it right on, on their face or they put it on their shoes or these are some of the things that right, American football does. Right. Um, right. This is this is not a sports verse, although the application could be very appropriate within a sports context. Right. What Paul is talking about, about him being strengthened is related to his life, is related to his living conditions. And so he walks us through here. He says, to, to begin, let's kind of uh, think through these passages as he's uh, talking about it. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Uh, indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. In other words, you just didn't have the opportunity to give the money. Okay, so uh, I know you were concerned for me, but the opportunity didn't present itself. And so he's just saying, you know what, Lord, thank you. Thank you. They had the opportunity for a financial gift, and they passed it along to me. Okay, now there's opportunity. But he also wants to tell this group of believers, he says, well, not that I speak from want, or not that I speak from a lack 
of uh, resources, financial resources, because he says, uh, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. Now, the thing about learning is that it is, you have to be in the circumstance in order to learn the lesson. And that is, you know, wouldn't it be great if we just had, you know, we didn't have to learn a language or we didn't have to learn this lesson so, or, or learn a sport. It takes years, right, for a musical instrument or whatever. It's a process of learning. And this is no different here when he says that I have learned to be content. Man, wouldn't it be great if we were always content, right? <laughs> wouldn't it be great? But just like a, a sport or a musical piece or a language, it's a process of learning. Right? You have to get in the situation. And for Paul, he says that I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. And those circumstances for Paul sometimes were uh, easy. Sometimes they weren't he, because he tells us, I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. So whether Paul had very little financial resource or Paul had a lot of financial resource, whether he was imprisoned at the time or whether he was living among friends and fellow believers. So he's telling us that it doesn't matter if it was in this circumstance or in that circumstance that he has learned to live in any and every circumstance. And this is pretty crazy. This, this strikes me. He says, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. So he's telling us, right, there's a secret, and he's learned it. And what is that secret? Well, it's verse 13. And verse 13 is the secret. He says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, related to contentment, Paul says, um, I've learned to be content. Uh, i got to share this great uh, definition of contentment. So this is a fellow by the name of Jeremiah Burroughs. Uh, he lived on that other island. So the one, I don't know exactly where, okay? But nevertheless, he was one of our brothers from a long time ago. <laughs> and he defined Christian contentment like this. Um, it is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. I'll let that sink in a little bit. So, a little bit wordy. It is not, uh, we don't speak that way anymore. But it is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. I think it's a beautiful definition of what contentment is. And Paul says, I actually learned that. And I actually know the secret to that. And the secret is that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, I do want to, I, I put this up here. This is uh, the Greek simply to show you the word order, okay? 
Uh, that's the only reason uh, I wanted to share that with you because in that particular language, uh, word order is significant, right? So as Paul is writing, he's going to put the most important things at the beginning of the sentence. So uh, this word right there, this is the beginning of the sentence. And all that is is uh, all things. That's how he starts off this sentence. So he's talking about this secret of contentment in any and every circumstance. And so he starts this next it all things. All things. That's a pretty comprehensive statement, right? All things. Unloading the dishes is an all thing, right? Or um, starting a new church plant is an all thing. Or staying at the original mother church is an all thing. And then he says, all things I can do through him who gives me strength. So let's just consider uh, this, this idea of uh, when he says, I can do, right? So all things I can do. So there's some other places in the New Testament uh, where it carries the idea of to be in possession of one's physical powers, right? like someone is in good health. There's an ability there. There's, uh, you're physically well. Um, in other places, it's to have the required personal resources to accomplish something. There's a competence. There's an ability. Uh, there's a power. Um, it result, this ability results in control. Um, it's to have uh, a personal ability to do something to experience something. So these are all the different ways the New Testament uses this particular word of uh, being able, right? uh, of, of being able to do all things. And then he says here, so all things I can do, and what is the key? It is through him who gives me strength. Right? So this is not some self-help statement that Paul says, Right, that's you know I can do it, or you know believe in yourself. In fact, that's that's furthest from what Paul is communicating here, right? Because he says, "All things I can do through Him who strengthens me." Right, that's far different than some self-help idea. Right, so uh, through Him who gives me strength, this is the idea to cause someone to be able. To function, it is giving an ability to Paul to us, and this is uh, why he says, "I can do all things through um, through Him who strengthens me." So I just want to just throw this question out. Okay, uh, what are some of the all things in your life right now? What are some of the in any and every circumstance that you have in your life? Right now. Um, because whatever that life circumstance is for you and for me, uh, there is going to be that uh, little subtle voice, right? That is uh, that thought that's going to come in that says, you know what? I'm not sure if you can handle it. You might want to second guess yourself. Or you might want to hesitate to do that. Just anything that might create a little doubt. <coughs> Kind of like that little thought that's uh, like that bully, that kid down the street who used to like, well, I think I'm going to walk around the other side of the street because that's where the bully lives. 
right? And so just that message of you can't handle it, that's the bully in the neighborhood. Right? So what is that any and every circumstance that is in your life? So because there, you and I can say the same thing. We can say with Paul, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, let me finish by going to uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verses uh, 27 through uh, 31. Because if we're talking about that God is the one who strengthens us, we know the source of power, and that is God. But what is the means? Paul says that God is the one who strengthens me in any and every circumstance, right? I'm able to move through that, to step into that. So what is the means? And thankfully, the prophet Isaiah tells us. So let me start reading in verse 27. He says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? And the justice due me escapes the notice of my God. Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired, and they will walk and not become weary. And so what is the means by which we can be strengthened? It's in verse 31. We wait for the Lord. That is the means by which we are strengthened. So when we think of that circumstance, that all things that might create a little difficulty for us, right, whether it be prosperity or hunger, that the means by which we are strengthened by God, it is in verse 31, yet those who wait for the Lord. So we wait, and we trust, and we wait, and we trust, because we know, as we said earlier, that God cares for us, that we're going to receive mercy, and that he is going to be compassionate. And so we wait, 